Dr. Kristen Hick is a licensed psychologist and author of an ebook called Dr. Hick's Guide to Fearless Living and Loving. She believes that people not intimately knowing themselves is what holds them back in relationships. And on today's episode, which is quickly becoming one of my favorites out of all 100 episodes that we've produced to date, because we talk about anxious, avoidant, and secure attachment styles gravitating to each other and the polarity uh, between the, t- the two or three attachment styles. Attachment theory is one of my favorite topics to discuss with Dr. Hick from the Center of Shared Insight here in Denver, Colorado. And if her message resonates with you, her contact information is in the blog post and the show notes. Without further delay, let's get into our episode with Dr. Kristen Hick. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. My name is Dave Glazer, online personal trainer and obsessed with the Enneagram personality assessment. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I came across some really inauthentic people when dating in Denver. And instead of getting frustrated, I decided to create a community of authentic people myself. Come along with me on this path to authenticity as we welcome expert guests and real-life daters to share their tools, tips, and knowledge to help you show up as your most authentic self. Hey guys, welcome back to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast. I am on location at the Centered for Shared Insight with mm-hmm. Dr. Kristen Hick. How are you? Um, well, thank Good. you. Excited to be here. I absolutely love coming on location because of the authenticity and the connection that we have mm-hmm. um, in person versus Zoom is great, but right. it's just not quite what really, really kind of connects and jives, jives and the vibe that we get mm-hmm. between us is like so much better in person. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for the invitation to come in. Yes. We're, yes. we're like in the heart of Denver. Yes, we are. Very central. Mm-hmm. And how is it and why is it that you chose um, this as your career path and your passion? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, like many therapists, was trained in to be a generalist. So to basically be able to treat anyone who walks through the door. The problem with that is that it really speaks to no one, no one in particular. So getting out of group practice and getting away from community mental health, which was my first part of my career, I wanted to build a private practice and have been in private practice for the last six years and really decided like, who am I most passionate about? And I came to realizing that like myself, there are a lot of people out there that were not taught how to have healthy relationships. So I think we can all think back in what were the early messages that we learned from our parents and the people around us about what it was like to relate to one another, how it was to resolve conflict, what it was like to have boundaries, or did the word boundaries even exist in our families? Most of us not. likely, yeah. Um, And so, and then, you know, getting into my adulthood, realized that I was running into some dating pitfalls over and over and over, and sought saw counseling. And so like, I have to break this pattern. I know I've learned something that has to be unlearned. And so through a lot of work and then a lot of work professionally really dove into how does it that we learn, how is it that we learn these patterns and how can we unlearn them? Um, I've been studying attachment style my whole professional career. So last like 13 years, um, I attach my dissertations in adult attachment. Um, and I'm so excited that it's gotten so much popular these days um, because now it's like in the mainstream and we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so that's a large part of the practice is like understanding your attachment style and how does that play into your relationships? Where did you learn that and develop that? And then how is it playing out right now and how can we change that? That's definitely why we connected because yes. like we both have a passion and an interest in attachment theory and I love the fact that it's getting so much attention because mm-hmm. it could be the root of um, why we're seeing patterns arise in relationships. Mm-hmm. And who is it that comes to you most often and do they all have questions about attachment or is it something mm-hmm. that you have to explain and guide them through? In Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people come with some questions about attachment because they've read our blogs or they've seen our social media and they see that we blog a lot about it or we're talking a lot about it. Or they've read Amir Levine's um, and Rachel Heller's uh, book, Attached. Or 
Tacton. And Tacton mm-hmm. does a book on attachment as well. So, like, it's being written about in a way that is user-friendly. It is relatable, so people are finding out more about it. The people who come to our practice are usually mid to late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And I say, like, for different reasons. So, like, the 20s age group are, like, starting to think about, like, how their early childhood affected them and what they're seeing crop up in their dating relationships. 30s. Why am I not finding the right partner? I want to settle down. I want to start a family. Why do I keep dating the same person and I'm unhappy? Or why unhappy? did their first one not work out and now they're back in the yes. dating pool? Yes. So yeah. they, they've been through one divorce um, and they want to get it right this time. Or they're in their 40s and 50s and have divorced later on mm-hmm. and are trying to recreate or create for the first time a new kind of, kind of relationship. So that's usually who's coming to us is either on the one side of dating in the midst of marital distress or recovering from. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the 20s age group is getting a lot of like negative press and a lot mm-hmm. of flack for maybe some of their behaviors, but I have a lot of respect for that age group because they are making the decision to date and get married l- later. They're yes. holding off as a, as a group. <laughs> yes, right? Yes. So their awareness, like you were talking about, of like they're understanding what their childhood had mm-hmm. in play with now why they delayed so much mm-hmm. and why they might not be connecting with a potential partner as well as they would like. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for that age group. Yes. I mean, the thing I'll say to, I say a lot of things in therapy and most often my clients don't really listen to me. They're like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, but you're the therapist saying that. Uh, whatever. I'm going to do this thing. Um, oh, one of the- <laughs> can, can you give me an example? Because like, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I have certain rules that I try to get clients to follow because I think from my perspective, they allow for, like you were talking about last week, intimacy to develop at the right stage, the right time. Right. So like one of mine is, um, you know, no sex until six dates or six weeks, whatever comes later. Like okay. Minimum. Because like, we can't rush through six dates in two weeks and whichever comes first. Exactly. Because right. some people will. And there's a trap there too, right? Like an attachment. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But if you give it time to develop, mm-hmm. you see things start to unfold. Now, that might be too early for some people too. And that's okay. But we're talking about people that usually rush into that decision making. We want to slow it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they have time to look look at things a little differently. And that is not a very popular I can um, understand why. <laughs> Rule. It would definitely land with me because that's something that um, I can totally buy into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a busy business owner and um, I love the flexibility in my life, but I really do only have one date time frame available per mm-hmm. week. Maybe. I mean, most people I do. definitely would make time for a second, but uh, as it starts in mm-hmm. the beginning, once a week is great for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it needs to take the right pace. If you hurry the pace, like anything in life, you hurry it, you rush it, it's not going to have the same result that mm-hmm. you want. Um, the other one is like, don't go to each other's homes. Minimum third or fourth date. Okay. I no can, Netflix I can buy into and chill. Too. Sure. Now this is, this is, this is, I should go back to like to reframe. Like this is depending on what is your, your goal for your relationship. Mm-hmm. If you're Intentions, just, right. right yeah. If your intention is just a date around and have some ca- something casual and both of you are cool with that and you're looking for a situationship, awesome. Yep, sure. The rule doesn't really apply mm-hmm. in the same way. If you're fooling yourself to thinking that's all you want or you want you know you want something more, mm-hmm. you have to slow the process down. And people's space is an intimate space, mm-hmm. right? Being Seeing what pictures they have on the walls Seeing how they decorate their bedroom, seeing how they be, they are in their like environment. That's intimate, mm-hmm. and so it should come later as they're slowing this down. So, that's one of them. I forget there was another one I was going to say, but it's not coming to me. We we can circle back to it. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm all about boundaries. Um, I definitely as a general rule don't kiss on the first date mm-hmm. um, because I need to kind of sleep on it, and like. We were just talking before we hit record about intuition versus mm-hmm. that sensory on the Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. And um, until I really became more self-aware and conscious of who I was and what my safe place is and my right. boundaries are, um, I was just here or there or kind of living in this life of chaos. Mm-hmm. And coming back to the, the millennial generation or the zennials right after that, the mm-hmm. late 20s, and never, I don't think I've ever actually heard that term before, zennials. The zennials is right after millennial. Huh. Like so they that. might be turning 20, 21 mm-hmm. nowadays, and they might be coming to you because 
they don't know why they've never really started a relationship or they don't know why like casual's not working out for them anymore mm-hmm. or um, the situationship. I love that mm-hmm. word because it's very descriptive. Did and... not come up with it, by the way. No, of course Borrowed not. Borrowed it from somewhere. Sure. <laughs> so that age group is coming to you and, and maybe they're starting a brand new relationship while they're seeing you. Mm-hmm. That's a great place for mm-hmm. your role to mm-hmm. come into play to guide them through the first few dates. Yes. However, there's other people who come to you in the midst of a relationship mm-hmm. and they've got questions too. Right. So <laughs> they run the gamut. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really think that great relationships are created. They don't just like, you don't just happen upon them. We aren't taught how to have these great relationships. So you start with like, what are your intentions? Um, what is your attachment style? Then we need to figure out what your intentions are based on what your attachment style is. And I love getting into that with clients. Cause I think it's something that's really easy to understand. Like, I don't know if you wanted me to kind of share a little bit about attachment style. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's totally why we're here. And and from my perspective, I was avoiding attachment. Uh And then I really started to work through the self-awareness and the personal discovery Mm -hmm. to understand why relationships either got to three months and ended or three and a half years and ended. Uh Because we were talking about that a little bit at the the Shrinks and Drinks event. Yeah, the open house. Yeah. And so I went through that that process of self-awareness, found out that avoidant actually resonated with me most Mm -hmm. and I was actually able to move closer to secure most of the time Mm -hmm. and that's why we're here I identify with it a lot because um I as I started to learn this I I call it like I'm like a former anxiously attached person like or a reformed recovering recovering anxiously (laughs) attached person right so like it's on a continuum it's not usually this that or the other although I think it's really talked about that in the literature and research I see it as more fluid, and based on who you're interacting with, you may display certain qualities um, differently. And so I do think, and that's the reason I do my job, is that I think you can earn security. So you can come closer to demonstrating a secure attachment when you're with loved ones, partners, etc. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my goal, is to teach people how to be more secure. So you're saying there's hope. There is absolutely hope, and I've seen it with clients, mm-hmm. and they don't believe me, but I'm like, but wait a minute, you used to do this, and mm-hmm. now you do this. Oh, okay, I, I know, I see the change now. So for those who are a little new to attachment, I'll kind of give you a very brief um, intro into it, and that is that you know we form this relationship with our caregivers early in life, mom and dad, um, parents, um, and based on how warm and responsive they are to our needs for care, nurturance, food, um, affection, then we learn to kind of anticipate that other people will generally be like that. So if we have someone who's very warm, very responsive, uh, very attuned to our needs, we develop a sense of self that like worthy of people meeting our needs and that we expect that people generally will. And we have a flexibility about us going in the world like, okay, we can handle some distance and we can handle some closeness. It's kind of an easy um, come and go of that. Um, And you grow up to have adult relationships that feel that way. There's an easiness with the closeness and the distance. Those who have parents who are predictably unreliable for whatever reason, maybe they traveled a lot, maybe they they had medical issues, maybe they had substance abuse or mental health issues, they're predictably unresponsive to the needs, the child's going to eventually say, like, hey, I got me. I don't want to depend on you anymore. You guys consistently fail you. And this is an infant's mind, so probably not all those words. But Those like, are all innate, those kind, innate of kind of learnings. Yes. Yeah. They learn, I've got to get me in this world. Like, I can't depend on anyone else to get my needs met. And so they grow up being really self-reliant, um, independent, which gets a lot of praise and award in our culture where like you look like you got it all together but inside you're like you're not getting some needs met feeling a little alone yeah, yeah. and and that people aren't safe to really let in for any length or any vulnerable depth right and so then that's what your relationships feel like people are kind of always a little bit at the distance you can get close but as soon as it gets vulnerable or too close i need to get my space then we have people whose parents were unpredictably reliable they never knew if they were going to be there, they weren't going to be there. Again, for mental health reasons, medical reasons, parents' own trauma, whatever. It could be a lot of different reasons. 
but the child learns I need to stay close to this person. Otherwise I might not survive emotionally, physically, otherwise. Mm -hmm. So they cling. Mm -hmm. So that's what you see in adult relationships when they grow up thinking, if I don't stay near my partner, like in contact with them, seeing them all the time, I might not, I might crumple. Mm -hmm. I might not be able to take care of myself in so many words. And And you're describing the anxious attachment style there. Yes. And the previous one was avoidant. Yes. And then secure, you were talking about first, like, yes. Yeah. The parents were reliable and they were attentive to physical, emotional, and mental needs. Right. And it was a a different rearing or a different upbringing Mm -hmm. for each of those three. Right. And I should say that it's, it can be possible to change over life. It's relatively stable, but that used to be the thought that it was stable no matter what across lifespan. Then mm-hmm. they started to do some more research on what can change it. You know, having a, a secure attachment figure like a grandmother or a nanny or a child care provider step in can provide some of that security that you can, like, take on, you can borrow. Mm-hmm. Um, therapy mm-hmm. is a good way to do yeah. that. So having a, a long-term relationship, six months or more, um, with a therapist, consistent uh, weekly therapy, you can work to earn some of that, bar, you know, borrow some of that security and uh, develop it yourself um, and doing personal work. So it's not an end-all and be-all like you're doomed from the beginning, although I really believe that even if you earn some security, you go closer to the middle, if we're calling it the middle, um, you're always going to kind of have a default position. Mm-hmm. So when really pressed you might still kind of revert, but over time you've been working on this less and less. So you might go, hey, honey, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I need to go and just take a drive. So you still need a distance, but you're communicating in a secure way. Mm-hmm. So it might Letting look them different. know that you'll come back as well. Exactly. And setting the intention for yourself that I'll go away for just a short period of time, but I'm coming back. Yes. To address this. So some people might call that triggering, you know, like triggering and then they need to like bail, Mm -hmm. you know, and when that decision is so definitive that like, oh, I got triggered, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Say like two or three dates in, Mm -hmm. not willing to resolve conflict, not Mm -hmm. willing to um, own, take personal ownership and face Mm -hmm. their partner in a time of where like a question comes up. I hate the term deal breakers. I hate the term red flags, Mm -hmm. but it's real. Yes. Deal breakers might fall in line with like smoking. Right. You know, that just doesn't fit my lifestyle. Right. Yeah, we're we're not going to like the same things because you can't go for a hike at 14,000 feet, you know? Mm -hmm. So we live in Colorado. We're spoiled. Right. Smoking doesn't fit in my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So that's a boundary. Right. Not a deal breaker, just a boundary. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I, what I commonly see with those who have more of an anxious or an avoidant um, attachment style is that they come up with more deal breakers or red flags than the average person, right? So things become, they, the deal breakers become a way of defending against getting close to someone, right? So if you find that you are doing that, that's a sign, mm-hmm. uh-oh, like why do I need to set up all these barriers to someone? Like smoking, yes, that they don't work in finance, <laughs> maybe is a defense. It's a really good point. Right. And like, it's like the avoidant is like, I like a lot of things about this person, but. Yes. Yeah. And that's yes. what they're doing is they're creating this um, uh, distance between themselves. Yes. And their potential partner. Yes. I hear, I hear that a lot with more avoidantly attached people where I like this person, but, or kind of superficial things will kind of get them caught off guard or stuck on things. And they'll. Like he doesn't drive a truck. Yeah, yeah, they'll build a story <laughs> about it and like how it's not gonna work, or um, with more anxiously attached people, I hear this is a common phrase I'll say like if you're doing this, that's a clue for you is the well maybes. Well, but maybe if um, he gets this new job, then that's gonna happen and he'll be closer to me. We'll be able to spend more time. Maybe he'll be more consistent. Well, maybe he get well when he gets through. The, or when she gets through this project at work, then we'll be able to spend more time together. Those well maybes are your way of convincing yourself that it might change when that may just be what actually is the natural, their, their preference or comfort with closeness or distance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you have to really learn like what defenses are you setting up and also what excuses are you making to go around the things that actually might be there and just might not work for you. Mm-hmm. 
because you have no boundaries. Right. Or it might have something to do with underlying lack of self-confidence or worth. And mm-hmm. like, I'm not able to stand up for myself on these well maybes because I just don't feel it about myself first. Right. Well, and that's uh, not to get like too psychological, but that's sort of the plight of someone who's more anxiously attached is that because they haven't developed this separate sense of self, um, because they've had to maintain the closeness to their caregiver to get their needs met, mm-hmm. they haven't been able. They like mold to mold themselves to get their needs met, right? Because mm-hmm. that's that's been their um, way of getting their needs met. Sure, so, part of their identity. It's a right. big part of that. Right. So sure, you. Where do you want to go to dinner? I'm good with anything, right? I'm whatever you want, you pick, right? And that's fine once in a while. So is that an anxious attachment that's kind of like the people pleaser or the Yes. Okay. Yes. So we might see that like there it's it's not that they don't have a preference, it's that they don't want to own the preference or rock the boat. Or rock the boat because they want to mold mm. to whatever the other person wants, but the other person's not going to really want that. Mm-hmm. They want someone who's a little more decisive or that they don't always have to be the making all the decisions. Mm-hmm. So the one when I work with people who are anxiously attached, I really work with them to show up. Like show up with their needs. Show and up as an individual. Yes. Even if it like literally comes down to like when someone asks you what you want for dinner, at least name three things. Cool. Like you don't have to make all the decisions, but show up with what you like and you don't like. Because that's really vulnerable for them. It's mm-hmm. really vulnerable to show up because it risks that maybe they won't like it. And then what's that going to do? It's going to, it's going to cause a fear and they don't want the fear. They want to maintain the closeness. So it's, it's, my work is about practicing and titrating up in the practice a little bit at a time. It's really good advice. Uh, so in kind of moving, I, I like to think of attachment style as pendulum. Yes. Like you can yes. swing from secure in the middle, like you said, uh-huh. to anxious on one side and avoidant on the other. And I visualize that this pendulum has some um, magnetic, mag- magnetic force to it. And mm-hmm. there's a polarity. <laughs> like when an anxious and an avoidant come together in a oh, relationship, yeah. mm-hmm. we have polarity there. Mm-hmm. And they can go to the far end of the extremes. Mm-hmm. Or say uh, in this example, we could talk about anxious and avoidant together. And then an anxious and a secure and an avoidant and a secure mm-hmm. and see that polarity mm-hmm. swing back and forth on the pendulum. Mm-hmm. So let's start with avoidant and an attached an anxious attached coming together in a relationship. It, it, it's like kryptonite. Like, it's just <laughs> like, they will find themselves together. You know, uh-huh. Like, and I, it's... Totally um, subconsciously. They're just totally drawn to each other. Totally subconsciously. But you know what? That's that's the thing. It's not just a subconscious drawing. It's it's a neurochemical response that's going off in their brains. That's what it is. Like, it, it starts before the unconscious thought it is the way that they learned their neurology, their neurophysiology developed really young in life to expect and be what was reinforced, right? And so it is happening on a neurochemical level when you meet that, that the anxious meets the avoidant and vice versa, that they have this neurochemical response. Now, I know we all love chemistry, Pop, pop, fizz, fizz. Oh my goodness, we all love chemistry. <laughs> uh, that chemistry, that intense chemistry, when someone comes in saying, oh my God, that was just like, finally someone like I feel that with, like I've never felt that way before. I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, because mm-hmm. this is what's going on. It's a neurochemical response that when that subsides and the vulnerability hits, gets in, they're going to freak out. Is that right around three months? Two, three months. Two, three months. Why is that? It's because, like, so, like, back up. (laughs) So everything is, like, new and exciting in the first part, right? You, like, promises of, like, yeah, it'd be so nice to go do that with you. Wow, I can really see something with this person when you're, like, in the infatuation phase. Like, you have, it's all just neurochemicals, like, Mm -hmm. going off in your brain, right? And you're feeling more and more close to this person. And then two or three months, you start to like get into regular rhythms of dating them, right? So things aren't quite as exciting. They shouldn't be. And then also those all those promises of like, we're going to go do this. We're going to go do this. But you can't always hold them up. 
right? And so then there's like the person called you or text you so many times a day. Well, that is just going to eventually fade a little bit. But the avoidantly attached person is going to start to need the distance because it's like they only can do so much, right? That's mm -hmm. their, their comfort zone. So they start to pull away just as the yep. other person, the anxiously attached person starts to draw closer. Yes. Cause they're like, man, I'm really feeling this and I don't want this person to leave. I got to hold on tight. And so you have this clashing right. of, you know, one needs distance. One needs more, more proximity to the person mm -hmm. closeness. And it's just for the first three months, the anxious up. attached is like people pleasing. And they're like, Oh, you need space. Okay. I can sure, totally give you that space. Totally works for me. Uh huh. And then at three months they're like, well, I've, I've given them so much space and I've shown them so much love for this mm -hmm. amount of time. Why aren't they coming closer to me? Let's cling. Let's draw closer. Let's physically, mentally, and emotionally draw closer. Mm -hmm. And then the avoidant for the first three months is like, oh, they're giving me space. I actually mm -hmm. am heard by this person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My needs are getting met because I have that distance and that space and those mm -hmm. boundaries. And now all of a sudden those Boundaries are becoming threatened, and right. and that's why the avoidant pulls away at that time. Mm -hmm. That was classic me mm -hmm. as an avoidant. And then the more time that I spent by myself after a relationship ended, mm -hmm. the better that actually got. Oh, yeah. You have more time to work on getting to a good baseline. And that's, I mean, this is another role. Like, I don't have a time limit, but, like, don't date after divorce for... A while. A year or more. Maybe, yeah. I know that's a <laughs> Right? <laughs> People, it's not a, it's I not don't a very disagree. popular You're right. rule. But I don't disagree, but I know that our listeners are going to be like... <sighs> I know, I know, I know. The thing is, is like, I say that, and then what happens is that they go out on date, and then we learn about it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're not going to be doing learning during that time when things don't go perfectly when you start to date someone mm -hmm. new. You're going to be learning. And I think if you approach it like that, you're going to get something out of it, even if it's not really the person you're going to be with long term. Totally agree with that. Because you're still working through some stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you take it as a learning experience, having a coach or having a therapist to kind of guide you through it, go, okay, what are you noticing here? Okay, could you practice this? Oh, what are you noticing? Could you practice that? Then you're still doing the work. I love the check-in principle of like, where are you at on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Mm -hmm. What's your what's your gut, your mind, and your heart telling you the day after a date or mm -hmm. the day before a date, which yes. is really important too yes. for Are they feeling stirred up or are they feeling like really easy? comfortable with it? And mm -hmm. I do have a really good friend who went through a divorce recently and she wants to ask me for my advice and my advice is, Honey, don't date. Like mm -hmm. I know outside looking in right now, yes. I see the turmoil, I see the hurt, mm -hmm. I see the pain. Please promise me you're not dating right now mm -hmm. so she'll reach out and talk to me about a date she had like just be patient yes meet her where she's at yep. continue to give her strong advice and uh just be there when she needs it mm -hmm. but like I don't want to see the train wreck for a friend yeah of course mm -hmm. well the thing is it's like you know I, I run a women's divorce recovery group and so I talk about like dating after divorce and when is the right time and really trying to encourage them to take time. Um, but they go out because there's a need to feel better, mm -hmm. right? To feel wanted, to feel better, to feel desired, to have fun, to have mm -hmm. a distraction from whatever we're going through. But what can happen is that then you have a mishap or an obstacle. It doesn't go the way you think and you get ghosted and then you feel worse. Mm -hmm. So it, it sort of compounds the original experience of I don't feel good about myself. And so if you can sit with that, I don't feel good with myself until you feel better, you're not going to be as susceptible to that second, like, nailing of feeling. Mm, you know? I, I totally understand. I totally agree with that 100%. Uh, resiliency and self-awareness and knowing your intentions and your boundaries mm -hmm. are so important and I know that my listeners always tell me, Dave, you're just guarded and you're trying to prevent hurt. <laughs> well, that's a legitimate scenario yeah, that you just painted yeah. for somebody who's out of a relationship right. and getting back out there for the first time, maybe too quickly, too mm -hmm. soon. And that's mm -hmm. a very concerning thing as a friend looking at somebody you love. Yeah. Or even seeing, you know, people do harm to others when they're not ready, right? Mm -hmm. It's not even 
sometimes it's them getting hurt, but sometimes it's them doing the hurt. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. yeah. So like if you're not in a good emotional space, that's what you might be putting out there. If you're feeling indecisive about what you want, you it might be a setup for the other person that feels in a really healthy space and you're kind of wishy-washy and I'm not sure and you know, then you're doing harm to them too. So it's it's not just you don't want to get harm hurt, like you don't want to hurt anyone else either. Mm-hmm. That's what I call like bad day karma. Sure, you know? and if you're if if you're not conscious of that, right. that's an even uh, right. more a uh, cause and need for a check in with yourself, mm-hmm. like a check in with your counselor, a check in with your therapist. Uh, you encourage weekly visits, and I spent about almost a year doing weekly visits mm-hmm. with my counselor, and it was enormously transformational and then we were able to back off (laughs) oh yeah absolutely hannah she's team dave all the way and she listens to my stories sometimes i think she's uh checking the clock for uh you know whatever like is dave done yet but um i joke with her about that because um i'm paying attention to hannah Uh (laughs) um anyways uh i was gonna ask you to um move from the anxious and avoidant kind of really drawn together in kryptonite to what happens when a secure person um, is introduced to an anxious person, and then we can talk mm-hmm. about that situation with the avoidant too. Right, right. Well, that's kind of the ideal situation for the anxiously attached person. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's also if we were to have you know avoidant and secure, it's ideal for the avoidantly attached person because they're gaining so much, or they can gain if they're really being present with it from that other person's security, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it might feel really foreign and actually, um, with anxiously attached people, they'll come in and what sounds like to me, they've been on a date with a securely attached person and they'll usually say it feels kind of boring. There was no fireworks whatsoever. Yeah. No spark. Uh Uh-huh. Meh. It was okay. He's nice. She's nice. But I just, I don't see it going anywhere. I'm not my long-term person. All those statements. They make a snap judgment and an instant judgment. Yes. And then they're like, let me just ride it out. There was an instant chemistry. But there shouldn't be. Not necessarily. No, when, like... Right? Like, <laughs> the chemistry is a is a warning sign for the old dynamic. So if we pay attention to that, it's not like we want to feel, like, no attraction to the person. If you have some attraction, but you don't feel a spark, the spark can develop. Absolutely. Right? As you get to know the person. So I say, if you're feeling that, which, again, this is a lesson I think people have to learn over and over and over. On their own, at their own pace. (laughs) Right. may not happen during the time that I'll be seeing them, but when I can get them to give the person a chance, they're like, oh, oh, I'm starting to Mm -hmm. to feel something. Mm -hmm. But it can feel really weird at first, because, right, you've been taught your whole life, your last 30 years, plus, minus how to relate to people, it's going to feel really different. It's not going to feel as um, exciting, It won't feel like familiar. Yes, right. And that's a really uh, another place to check in with them. When you're, when you're meeting new people, oh, it feels really familiar. Yes. Well, you're drawn to the familiarity yes. of what your attachment yes. and your childhood was teaching you as a t- uh, attachment for relationships later on in your life. Right, right. Yeah. So that's, we don't want familiar. We no. want new. We yeah, want we do. different. We yeah. want, oh, well, I didn't know I was attracted to that before now. Hmm, that's new. Mm-hmm. We want to seek that. So that's kind of um, a presentation I gave a long time ago. I was like dating outside your box, right? It's like w- writing down what is in your box. What is your typical person, your typical date, where your go-to spots, because everyone has their go-to date spots, right? And figure out how you're going to do it differently. Like, who is that person? What would they look like if they were different from your usual? What you're usually like, yes, that's who I'm attracted to. If you walk into a bar or a social situation, you're like, the person you immediately go to visually, we don't want that. Uh-huh. We want you to do something different, yep. <laughs> right? So you figure out, like, what are those new spots, new activities, new things you could be doing? And that's when you're going to get out of the familiar, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the trap. Yeah, a danger zone for... Um, for us to be aware of, for sure. Right. Well, the the thing is, is that it's getting clear on your unconscious and your stated goal, right? Your stated goal is, I want to be in a long-term partnership, but your unconscious goal might be actually, I want to stay safe. So you're going to stay safe by staying with the familiar. Mm -hmm. 
And that is okay. That's part of what therapists are there for is to help you work through why that feels unsafe. Of course, it feels unsafe to get close to someone who could actually meet your needs. You have no idea what that is. That's completely foreign. So it's okay to wrestle with, I want this, but I'm scared of it. I want this, but I'm scared of it, which is the whole dynamic for Mm -hmm. someone who is insecurely attached, right? Mm -hmm. So getting clear on that and then actively trying to practice something different. It's it's a lot of practice. I mean, I'm not a behavioral therapist, but I find myself being a behavioral therapist saying, I want you to go practice this. I want you to see, do a little experiment. Like what, how you feel when you're dating that person versus that person. You learn so much. Oh, so, yes, absolutely. So that is a piece of advice that I got along the way being single for almost two years. Mm -hmm. The other really good piece of advice that I got about that first date and feeling chemistry or not Mm -hmm. is your intention on the first date is really only just to determine if you want a second. Yes. I I hear you say that and I'm like, yes, it's not whether you have a spark. It's would you be okay going on a second date? Do you want to learn more about this person? Mm -hmm. That's it. Like, um... Are you curious to see what more might be there? Definitely, like, I wanted to talk about in-person versus online and pairing that with attachment style, but now that you bring it up, like, when, when I was dating online, I would meet somebody and I'm like, I'm curious about this person. Mm-hmm. And then I would uh, try to set the first date. Uh, generally, it's coffee or something mm-hmm. um, that doesn't involve alcohol. That mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. Solid choice. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, the alcohol numbs my intuition, which we were talking about a little bit, yep. too. Yep, And... And then after that first date, I become either interested mm-hmm. or just like, okay, I'm no longer curious. Mm-hmm. And that's my check-in for me is like, do I want a second date? Am I interested? And that's kind of like a leveling up from curiosity to interested. Mm-hmm. And that's all that I take myself as like seriously as I need to be on a first date. Right. That's all you need to know. I think even coming with that, going into a date with that intention takes the pressure off, right? I think so often people go into the first date as, I have to figure out if this person's the one. Well, <laughs> first off, there is no the one. <laughs> an outdated fairy tale concept that Thanks, doesn't Hollywood. actually yeah. exist and has been brainwashing us forever. And, <laughs> ah, um, but it's, it's, it's so much pressure when you have to figure that out. You just want to figure out like, this person okay to be around? Yeah. Did I did I like him enough to yeah. see him again? That's it. Where? And even on the second date for me, that's really another place I want to be too. Mm-hmm. Is like, I cannot get to know somebody two and a half hours on the first date, two and a half hours on the second, and think that they're the one. That's mm-hmm. pretty outlandish. Mm-hmm. When you know, you know, but like, that's really your intuition tuning into your intentions mm-hmm. and then uh, did you keep safe boundaries on that first mm-hmm. one and then are you allowing yourself to hear your intuition too right so here comes another rule uh, people are going to think i'm like this rule-based person which... actually those people listening are going to be like <laughs> Kristen and dave sure are myself. like <laughs> Kristen and dave are like the exact same person because of all these rules that we have but right. they're there to help us date better yes so my next rule is that a date should only be two hours. Right? When I hear about people having six-hour hour drinks, oh, I'm like, no, no. Uh-huh. you did it wrong. <laughs> like, but we had such a great time. We just didn't want it to stop. I'm yeah, like, because of that chemistry? Right. That's the familiar. That yes. is like... Yes. You should only really be checking it out. Yeah. Just checking it out. If you can spend that much time with a person already, that's a warning sign. You've slipped into old territory. Or somebody's pretending to be somebody that they're not in order to get you to like them or fair. to sleep with them. Yes, fair. If you collapse the boundaries of time or personal space or physical space, right, your physical body, you don't, you cut out so much learning. Mm-hmm. Like you need time, like you said, to simmer about it. To go, huh, what was that like? I, do I want a second date? Huh, that was interesting. I want to learn more about that. If you have a six to ten hour date, your first, second, there's no mystery third, anymore. There's no mystery, and <laughs> and you've collapsed boundaries because mm-hmm. then by the second date you're having sex with them, and then you're collapsing intimacy boundaries. You're you've so much material and space that you've just collapsed, mm-hmm. right? So you've just fallen into an old pattern. So if you really keep to those rules, you stretch it out. Let me give you an example from my life. I don't do this very often, but I think a little bit of disclosure is a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I do and have intentions of like, let's meet for coffee for the first time. Let's mm-hmm. see if our, our lifestyles actually match up. Like, I don't want to go out for a drink the first date. Mm-hmm. I used to, and then it just never really ended up well because right. um, I couldn't quite see what I was looking for clearly enough. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go on a second date, and then there'd be drinks involved again. So And you never learn what the person's like without drinks involved. There you go. So you have to give yourself a chance, at least in the beginning. So I'm trying to date better, and this is a comfortable place for me. This is safe for me. This is a good boundary for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I intend to have a two-hour date. And recently, I lost track of time. And two and a half hours come, and I'm telling a story about my daughter, and I'm talking about a haircut, and I'm like, oh, crap, it's 1230. I have a haircut I need to be at, like, right now because I made an appointment. Mm-hmm. I live and die by my calendar and my schedule. And I literally, like, I got to go. I think I can still make it. Can mm-hmm. I walk you to your car? Mm-hmm. And literally, like, just, like, stopped mid-date at two and a half hours because I'm like, oh, crap, I lost track of time. Uh-huh. I'm late for an, another appointment. It was a haircut, not another date, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a check-in for me. I'm like, Dave, why did you lose track of time? Mm-hmm. Were you that interested in the conversation? Something to be aware of, Dave. Mm-hmm. Like, I kept asking myself that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Like, shoot, Dave, you don't generally miss an appointment. Mm-hmm. If it's in your calendar. Yeah. Something to be conscious of there. Yes, absolutely. It got away from you. You weren't being equally present with the experience and with your own boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right? So there needs to be kind of an equal equal hovering. Sort of like what therapists do when we're with clients. People say, how do you listen to, you know, all these clients all day and, like, go from one to the other and, like, feel okay at the and end of the day? And not take it home with you, not right? Yeah. Home. Well, the thing is, a lot of schooling and (laughs) a lot of schooling and a lot of practice at equally hovering, right? We're equally hovering in the client's emotional space as well as our own personal space. We have our own boundaries. So when we wrap up the session and the person goes, we haven't like lost ourselves or taken home them, right? The same is true with a date. Like there needs to be an equal hovering of like having an awareness, not losing awareness with oneself and one's boundaries or goals or intentions. And being present. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it seems like you you might have lost the present awareness of your own needs in that. Uh, it wasn't that big of a deal, thankfully. It was just a haircut. So I didn't right. beat myself up too it bad about it. It wasn't the end of the world. <laughs> it really wasn't. And uh, we went out again, so it wasn't at the end of the world that I just, like, stopped it short. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot, I'm late for another appointment. Right. I have to get my haircut, you know. Um, but I did find myself being more present Mm-hmm. while they're with another person and respecting their time and valuing mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. as a person. Right. And before we, like, go deep into my own personal life, we were going to talk about avoidant and then secure when they mm-hmm. get together yeah. and why that's good for the avoidant attachment style. Yeah, because it, it sort of, like, allows them to have a titrated experience of what it's like to be close to someone and feel okay and not feel like, and at first, the avoidantly attached person is going to feel like, uh-oh, maybe they're going to get too close. Uh-oh, uh-oh. But the secure, they know when to kind of back off because they need to, their own space too. So they're going to kind of equally hover in that space, like a little bit closeness, a little bit of distance. I need, I need my personal time. So it actually helps in some ways kind of train the avoidantly attached person to be okay with closeness again. And knowing that they'll get their needs met for a distance. So it's kind of, it's the perfect pairing. I mean, anyone who has an insecure attachment, either avoidant or anxious, should intentionally want to date someone who's more secure. You will gain more from their ability mm-hmm. to be secure in that relationship. You'll get your needs met. That's not always possible. Right, because we're, <laughs> we're not always conscious of what that looks like. Yes. From our anxious point of view mm-hmm. or from our avoidant point of view mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. We might be so much in our world that we don't recognize what's external from us. Right. And and what I hear sometimes from clients is that um, avoidantly attached people can sometimes appear secure in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. They're really present and consistent with contact and okay with closeness until that two, three month mark where they suddenly are like, my needs for distance aren't being met. I need that. And they pull all of a sudden away. too. Yeah. Right. It feels like a, it, it feels like a very abrupt shift. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, wait a minute. This person was meeting my needs. It felt secure. I was, I thought I was reading all the signs. Right. 
and their their usually were longer dates. Like there were little cues along the way, little pebbles that they could have followed. Um, but sometimes you don't know until that two or three month mark how someone's gonna deal with the vulnerability of actually getting close. Like it's a time in the relationship. Like are we together? <laughs> like is this a thing mm-hmm. we're doing? It's not just like dating anymore. Like you're starting to form a relationship, some commitment to the person. And that's usually where you'll see things fall apart. So I would say like, don't get too committed until you figure out where you're at with that. Mm -hmm. There's no rush whatsoever. And when we do rush, that's when we kind of like trip over ourselves or fall into an attachment that's not uh, the best situation Mm -hmm. for us. Right. If you notice yourself rushing in any way, that's, that's a, that's a flag. Like, why am I feeling like I need to rush? Why might they need, they be feeling that they need to rush this? Like if you're rushing through anything in life, there's something you're trying to avoid, mm-hmm. right? So you just need to check in with yourself. What are you trying to avoid? You're trying to avoid things falling apart. You getting too close. Like, what is that? And how might rushing things not actually not an effective strategy yeah serve yourself helpful. or serve others yeah right and like I talk a lot about like what's helpful or not helpful and that's not a helpful strategy it's not gonna like end a disaster it, it might sometimes yes sometimes no <laughs> it's not very helpful mm-hmm. right totally so if somebody loves your message and wants to learn more what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and what yeah. do you have coming up in the next um, few weeks or months to Involve people. Yeah, so we have a couple of groups. They're ongoing therapy groups. Um, one of them is called Transforming Trauma. That is for female-identified um, survivors of abuse or sexual assault or intimate partner violence. And it's forming right now, so if you're interested, give us a call. It's also going to be an ongoing group, so depending on when you hear this, we'll have spots open mm-hmm. up and you can come in. And then I run a divorce recovery group for women. It's an ongoing group. I've been running it for five years now. It's a highlight of my week. Um, And it's for women considering moving through or recovering from divorce even five years later. You know, you could still be stuck in a Yeah, they could all be on their own different timeline. Right. And that's okay. Like, the diversity of experience actually adds to the group. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you want to be in one of the groups or interested in working with us individually or just reading more we blog every week so lots of information on attachment and dating and relationships you can go to our website which is centerforsharedinsight.com um you can follow us on social media centerforsharedinsight.com on social media on uh, facebook and social media uh, instagram and linkedin awesome so. I think we're actually in Twitter now too. <laughs> I think we just made that. The lead. Twitter sphere is is unbeknownst <laughs> it's a to me for a while, but we're now I think on Twitter. <laughs> so. And if there's one thing in the next couple of minutes that we didn't touch on that you want to expand on, we briefly covered. Uh, what would that be that you really want us to take away from today? Um, that attachment style is not fixed. It's it's something that can be transformed. I myself. You, like, we know that if you do the work, you can change your attachment style and find more secure relationships and actually get your needs met. Um, It takes some work, but there's people out there to help you through that. Um, So I think that's the exciting, rewarding part of my job is, like, no, there's a way out. You can create the relationships you want. You're not predestined Mm -hmm. to have unhealthy relationships like others in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only way out is through... Oh, yes. And to face yes. that shadow that yes. none of us really want to address mm-hmm. uh, until we need to. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, oftentimes rock bottom is a great motivator for us to mm-hmm. get out of our own way and ask for help. Right. Those patterns, if you're seeing one, like dating, marrying the same person over and over with the same name or different name. Yeah. Same person, different name. Yeah. That's time. I wasn't satisfied with my my life and I decided to do something about it. And that right there is why we address mental health through relationships mm-hmm. because that's where we see so many patterns arise. Right. And that's why the podcast is the way that it is. Yeah. We could have chosen fitness and nutrition for mental health, mm-hmm. but we would mm-hmm. not have been able to reach as many people without addressing relationships first. Right. And then finding what's underneath. Uh, and then I came across attachment theory. Yep. And absolutely just 
love the simplicity and the digestible nature of mm-hmm. um, what we talked about today, and we could spend three or four Hours. more episodes on yeah. it. Well, so. and, and that's the thing is that you may not even know that you have one attachment style or the other. You might be feeling depressed in relationship to your relationships. You might be feeling anxious or socially anxious. And those might be other cues to you that something is going on that might be limiting your future relationships, even with friends, with partners, with coworkers. It affects all kinds of relationships. So when you're noticing that you're having this ongoing struggle where relationships in general are not functioning well for you, it might be time to really look at like how can you do it differently. Mm-hmm. And you're not alone and there are people that can help. Oh, Absolutely. And it's always my recommendation that we find somebody who can help. Yes. And and the thing is, is that, you know, I love what I do and I hope I can help. And um, there's two therapists in on our staff that are equally as skilled in attachment theory, therapy and dating and divorce. But you know what? We're not the right fit for everyone. So if you're out there, like you have tried a therapist, you're like, that didn't work. Therapy's not for me. Please call someone else. Call, um, so like, even if you don't know where to start, call us. Mm-hmm. We will help you find a therapist. Like, I don't, I'm not as concerned about us getting your business, although I'd love to help you and work with you. I'm concerned about you getting the help you need. So like, that's a part of our mission is that we help the one person, they go out and help, they have healthier relationships with their partners, their children, their family members, their community, and then we're all functioning healthier, Right? Like, this, I know it's a really idealistic vision for the world, but when we do the work, we do the work with other people and then we all get healthier. That's right. So, that's the mission of the podcast. You really just yeah. kind of summed it up. <laughs> well, I'm glad. That's why we're here. That's yeah. why we're talking. So, I want to say thank you again. I know yeah, your time is really you. valuable. Yeah. Thanks. And what do you say in the next six to 12 months? We do follow up and we Absolutely. meet again and we have a conversation. Um, I did love and enjoy meeting your, your team at the, at the open house. Yeah, and they're awesome. Keep me on the list for other events around town. I will. I will. Thanks, you too. Thank you, Chris.